Hello and welcome to the Top Dog Podcast. I'm Adrian. And I'm Katja. Also a warm welcome from me. Guess what? You are in the right spot. We meet people who do all sorts of amazing things for dogs. That's right, and you will hear things you always wanted to know and maybe need to know. And I say, Katya, let's unleash the dogs. This program is rated D for dogs. It contains sniffing, scratching, and doggy things. Doggy themes, indeed. Today, in the Top Dog Hotspot, you will get inspired. Or you will scratch your head. Dogs have fur, lots of it. Cutty grabs the opportunity and turns it into a warm blanket. Adrian follows the call of the wild. My top dog is my bodyguard. And of course... Top Dog on Spot Challenge. Now he really said it well and I'm convinced, because I can't, but I'm convinced that many dogs could say it too. And that's why we've got the challenge. We will tell you more about it the end of the podcast we will start with an amazing story that happened in new york state uh, timothy was walking his dog together with his wife and as they're walking they saw a little bit further away another dog owner with two dogs and they were on the ice and unfortunately an accident happened and the two dogs fell in they broke through the ice and they couldn't get out and the lady was screaming and uh, timothy decided that rather than calling 911 and waiting for help to arrive that he should go in and rescue the dogs because very very lucky indeed this guy has been doing cold water exposure training from a very early age on him and his wife and the dog have been doing cold water immersion in the Hudson River. So they were in good training. They went in, Timothy and his dog, and they basically guided the dogs back out. And all four of them made it safely back to the shore. Wow. Well, well it paid off his training. Good on him. Normally it's the dogs that do rescue humans, but this way it was the other way around. Our next guest, Marion Wheatland from Melbourne in Australia, also thinks that dogs are very useful, uh, maybe in a different sort of way. <laughs> yes, I would run away from her, actually. <laughs> well, or you could cut your hair really short. Yeah, that's why I would <laughs> run another away. Option. That's why, cause, because she does spinning dog hair into yarn and she has a certain look when she looks at you, if you're a dog, of course. She's been spinning for more than half a century 
And um, spinning dog hair, she picked up a few years ago, and that started with uh, a request. A woman with a poodle asked her, could you please spin my dog's hair into a vest? That's how it started. We were very brave, Katja. We both took our microphone and visited her in her home in Boronia, a suburb of Melbourne. What I do is I take uh, fur from long-haired animals, dogs or cats, and I spin it into yarn so that the yarn can be used to knit or crochet or anything you want, just like normal yarn. But this yarn is really special because it comes from the animal that the owner had or has, and uh, the owner can take the animal with them wherever they go. Because I was just about to say, does a dog owner have to fear you? Because the way you said it, that you take fur from cats and dogs. So it's all... Uh, we, pre- are, pre- we are sustainably harvested. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pre-arrangement. Yeah. That's a pre-arranged. I yeah. actually had to put up a sign. I, I do uh, 11 days of spinning at the Royal Melbourne Show, and I've got all my dog fibres up there as well for people to see. And I had, I've had children coming up to me crying, saying, you're not going to kill my dog to get the fur. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> so I actually have a sign up behind me, sustainably harvested. Oh, Just oh. That's good to know. <laughs> when you go on a walk... How do you look at the dog? Do you look at the fur and go, oh, I could spin that? Or do you just enjoy the dog as uh, an no, animal? No, I, I look at the product. Yeah. I, I look at the fur, yes. <laughs> um, Tina, one of uh, the ladies who is my neighbor, uh, I only met her because of her dog. She had a chocolate brown Newfoundland dog. And she just happened to be walking her dog at the end of my street. I thought, oh, oh, I stopped the car. I pulled up and I gave her my business card. And she's now my supplier for Newfoundland fur. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying you need a particular length? Yes, yeah. I do. Uh, 50 millimeters is the minimum length. Mm-hmm. It's about as long as your thumb. So, yeah, 50 millimeters, around about two inches or so. Doesn't need to be straight or could it be a curly wavy? No, it can be curly wavy. Mm-hmm. I have uh, means to deal with that. <laughs> yes. It's called a drum carter and I just run it through the drum carter and it does the same thing as a comb for your hair. It just untangles things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you feel any difference between, let's say, sheep wool or oh, yes. goat oh, yes. wool. They're, each fiber is a different micron. So micron is a millionth of a meter, and I tend to have my samples sent off to Riverina wool testers, and they send me back statistics. They send me back micron diameter, coefficient of variation, uh, micron spread, um, comfort factor, all the statistics. Not all of it means a lot to everybody, but mm. I think what dongovers like to hear first is that firstly the micron diameter, how fine the fiber is, and the comfort factor, which is out of 100. Uh, Samoid that we have here on the cushions and that I've got here behind me, that's a comfort factor of 90 out of 100. Compared to sheep wool? Or uh, well, sheep wool? sheep wool are also different microns, and uh, with the different micron of sheep wool, uh, helps to determine what product you're going to make out of it. Like, for example, uh, merino is sort of 15, 16, 17 micron, uh, and it's lovely and warm, and people say, oh, isn't it great? But it's not great for socks because it's too fine. It's not a robust fiber. It might be warm for the two times you get to wear it before you put holes in it. Mm-hmm. So you have to go up a little bit further to Gotland fiber. Gotland fiber is about 30 micron. I guess. I don't know. I don't have that statistic in my head. But that is a more robust fibre, so you get a good pair of socks mm-hmm. out of that one. So mm-hmm. Socks that will last more than two wearing. So micron diameter does uh, have a bearing on the product that you make, yes. 
just to recap. So basically, when someone tells you, I would like to use my dog's fur, mm-hmm. then you have it tested. And th- from then on, you kind of make an educated guess or from your experience, what that could be used for? Well, when people approach me with uh, fur, the uh, first thing I do is have a look at it. Mm. I assess it because if it's too short, I can't use it. If it's too coarse, what do you want to make out of it? Length is the most important factor. Anything short and I can't spin it, not effectively. And it'll come out prickly. No matter what the micron diameter is, it comes out prickly because when you're spinning, it goes into a long line. So if it's too short, it only twists a couple of times and then the ends stick out. Same thing happens if it's short and it goes through the drum carter. Mm. The ends will stick out and make it prickly. If it's long enough, it twists more times and therefore it goes into the long line with all the ends tucked in and it's softer. So length is what I look for. I don't care about color. I don't care about coarseness or fineness. It's the length that concerns me if they want it spun. So you said you have a your business card on you and you talk to every dog owner, but people do approach you. So oh, yes, how they do, do how do they find you? How do they know well, about you? Well, I go you? out to different um, pet expos. So anything pet, I try and be there as best I can. And then even if it's just to give the people the idea um, so that when I come back next time, they're there. When people do approach you and ask you to spin their dog's wool, do they tell you their reason, their motivation, why mm-hmm. they want to have it? I what, have three kinds say? of clients. Yeah. yeah, Clients that have a living pet and want their pet with them the whole time, like we had it last Friday. So they want to walk their pet and have a cap yes. on this at the same Matching. time. They want to look like Matching. them. <laughs> Fashion statement. Um, yeah. The other people that to send me fiber are people who have kept their fiber for years. Their dog has been long gone. And please, can I do something in a memory aspect mm-hmm. for these dogs? Um, if the dog has died or if they've, they've lost the dog and they, they can't bear to part with the fiber they've saved, then they give it to me and I do something with it for them. And right. that gives them comfort. Uh, and the third kind of client I have is people who don't know what sort of dog they want. What does the fur look like? What can you make? <laughs> I didn't understand that one. They, they don't have a pet yet, but they don't know what pet to get. So yeah. if they touch the fur, maybe that'll help them decide what pet ah, to get. So they wear a jumper, like yeah, made out of that. Or a scarf or a hat or something, yeah. Okay, mm. and then if they like it, they decide to have that dog. Mm. Do you have like some sort of a, a sample range that people can then test before they have a... When I, when I go out on display, I do take a range of fibers oh. with me and I put a, a little skein of yarn attached to the photo of the dog it came from oh. so people can actually see and they can touch it. Mm. Yes. Is there, um, there's an aspect of allergy. A lot of people are allergic to dog yes. hair or cat hair. Yes. So you obviously are not. No. No. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm covered in it. Has anyone, <laughs> yeah, but it might has, be a bit difficult if you're wearing a cap or a I mean, sweater in, yeah. at work and then your next-door neighbor is you allergic know, Has anyone dog. experienced uh, something like that? People who have, have an allergy to, say, dogs, for example, generally, if they want a dog, they get a poodle because poodles do not shed. Poodles are non-allergenic. They actually have a wool, not a fur. Uh, they don't shed their skin either, you know, the little like little dandruffy stuff. They yeah. don't do that. So those are the sort of uh, dogs. But if if you've got an allergy, obviously you don't come and well, you can come and speak to me when I'm spinning wool instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So once it's a cap or, or scarf, whatever, it doesn't shed any particles. Oh anymore. yeah. Well, so, not skin stuff. No, because yeah. once I've spun it and I've plied it together, I wash it. Mm. A lot of people ask me about the smell. If the the garment should get wet. I don't have a problem because the smell actually comes from the body, not the fur. So once the fur is washed, then it's fine. 
And does the, the wool or the fur come washed to you or do you no, have to wash no, it first? I, no, uh, I ask for it not to be washed first. All right. Yeah, because once you start to wash it, it affects the uh, the spinability of the fibre. It starts to felt or tangle together and it's, yeah, yeah. no good. I still have uh, difficulties to get used to the concept too because I've never thought about it that you can use dog fur into some wearable stuff. Mm-hmm. Um did it take you a long time to get used to that? Or oh, how I did spin you, anything, man. How did you, how did I you, spin anything. Right. So you, you're in the first place a spinner and you just take whatever you can. Um, did you have some kind of aversion um, in the first place? No, when not you aversion, but the idea came with May. Now, May has a poodle named Mango and she really loves him. She's just crazy about this dog. And uh, she came to me when I was teaching spinning out in one of my classes and she said, can you spin my dog? And uh, I thought originally grabbing by the tail and turning around on the floor, but that's not what she meant. She said uh, that she wanted the fur spun. And I thought, oh, for him. She said, no, for me. I thought, oh, okay. And she brought me the dog and I said, well, come back in three months when the fiber is longer. And she did. And uh, she's had a vest and a matching hat done. I've done that for her. I've done a blanket for her sofa. And my current project with her, she saved me two more of Mango's fleeces and uh, I'm doing a poncho. I'm spinning up the yarn to do a poncho for her. Uh, my most challenging garment has been a German Shepherd vest. Right. Yeah, Sharon was really crazy about her dog too, and, and uh, her dog helped her through the death of her husband. And now that the dog is gone, she feels as if her legs have been cut out from under her. So she'd saved all the fur, and uh, it's not the length that I needed. So it had to be carded and had to be blended and you know all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, that was the most challenging because I only had a finite amount of fiber. I couldn't add to it in any way. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I, I did the fronts as the German Shepherd and I just got some matching uh, normal wool from the shop and matched the colors on the back. So that the front is the feature and the back is just normal wool. Mm-hmm. Long, yes. Thick I do Pyrenees Mountain Dog as well. Um, I've undone Old English Sheepdog. Um what are some of the other ones? Oh, God, I've done so many. Yeah. Um, I think the, the best dog for you would be an Afghan. Is that right? I've done Afghan as yeah. well. Yes, yes. Uh, that was very soft. That came up really well. Mm-hmm. And the lady I did that for, Cherie, she ended up making beautiful hats, mm-hmm. fluffy hats. So she gets so to wear her All dog. the Afghan dog owners stay away. <laughs> from. <laughs> yeah. Where does your clientele come from? Purely Australia or? Oh, yes. No, I have had inquiries from overseas, but no, uh, I've refused those orders. Um, Customs doesn't allow it in. It's a very um, involved process. Uh, Getting it all certified, sending it over Mm -hmm. is a cost, plus my spinning. And I said to, I emailed back and I said, how much do you really, 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 really love your dog? (laughs) I said, I can't do it, but I have uh, a lady named Leslie uh, in Nova Scotia, in Canada, and uh, she does dog fur over there. So mm-hmm. she's my North American branch office. Mm. Okay. So why does it still sound strange to me, that idea? I don't know what it is. Has it ever sounded strange to you to use dog hair and spin that into yarns and well, make when, stuff when May first approached me at that class, yeah. yeah, I thought it was a bit strange. But, yeah. you know, we're creative people. We are a bit strange, aren't yeah. we, Dahlia? Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, we know that you can, lots of people use 
uh, hair of the mother who died and turn it into a wig and wear it. Mm -hmm. I know that exists, mm -hmm. or other people wear it. Mm -hmm. So we got used to that concept. Mm -hmm. Maybe we all have to get used to the. I think the most pattern. unusual thing I've spun is Persian cat with long-haired guinea pig. I didn't even know there were long-haired <laughs> guinea pigs. Yeah. Okay. And uh, this beautiful big handful of beautiful fiber arrived. I thought, ooh, this looks neat. And it was a gorgeous to spin. It was really nice. I don't know what the, the guy's going to use with it, but what I did was I put the two colors, the cat and the, and the guinea pig together as one, and then there was another cat and another color, and I put that together. But I had some left over, so I did a three color, and I don't know which one I like the best. Mm. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah. yeah, so that's the most unusual. Maybe in this fast fashion world that we live in today where you buy a garment for five dollars and you throw it away after one wear it's actually good to have something that you are personally attached to that you probably value more and, and take care well, I, I would have thought that you know if you have a garment or something from your own animal that you know and you love isn't that better than buying going down and buying a sweater from a uh, made from fiber from an animal that you've never met <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe mine i don't know I'm not sure. I think I would probably break out in tears if yeah. I wore my uh, deceased yeah. dogs. Uh, I, I don't think I could do that, but I suppose it's, I would well, get well, too emotional. Would it, oh, I was going to say, would, does it make you sad? Is yeah. that why you cry? Yeah. But it shouldn't make you sad. You're, he's still with you. Mm. You're still wearing him. He's still there. Yeah, this might be a different attitude. I, I just couldn't, I think. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's well. the same with, um, like, you have chickens and every chicken has a name. One dies, you're not going to eat it because it had a name mm. to it. Mm. But if it's a nameless chicken, you eat it. So mm. with the dog, I know that dog, and having it close to my heart, I'd rather have it in my memory close to my heart right. rather than on my skin. Well, everyone is different. Yeah. Everyone yeah. is different. I've had people say, oh, yes, and give me some fiber straight away. Mm. It just depends. Have you got any wish list of some dog fur or other animal fur that you would love to try oh, in the future? Goodness, goodness, goodness. Yeah. goodness. Well, when I was in um, British Columbia, when I was visiting Canada, I ended up with a great big handful of Kiliut, which is Arctic musk ox. That's yeah. divine fiber. That's 14.5 micron, which is finer than superfine merino. Uh, it's a bit hard to get them to stand still to comb them, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've also done yak. I've also done bison. Um, what else? Camel. And I, I've got a mix of camel with silk that I've used. That's really lovely. Hmm. Okay. Well, is there any, any particular dog that you would like to spin? Not on its tail, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything yeah. at this point. Some mm -hmm. famous dog, maybe. You think, oh, famous this dog. dog. I famous have to dog. have his wool. I have spun husky. And I remember speaking to a man at um, one of the Antarctic clubs down in Hobart, and he said that he has huskies descended from the dogs that Mawson had on the ice in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. Now that would be cool. Mm -hmm. I'd be not only spinning that, but I'd be spinning history at the same time. Well, that's that's it. That one day, your dream will <laughs> If you're be listening, Anari, get me that fiber. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Mario.
That was Marion Wheatland from Boronia in Melbourne and you will find more information on her website spinningpetsyarn.com.au So that was spinning, wasn't it? And we still have our hair. You can't see it. <laughs> I have a little bit less, but not because she was cutting them off. They just fell out anyway. <laughs> but you've got all your hair. Luckily, actually, <laughs> yeah, she didn't like my length. You wore your legs. <laughs> Not the length. She didn't like the length of my hair. And the length of legs. <laughs> well, you had hair on your legs. <laughs> that too. <laughs> no, she didn't like your length because everything that's long, she would love to cut off and spin it into yarn. So any dog, famous or not famous, be aware of Marion Wheatland. I would say if uh, Buck was still alive, he would be really scared of Marion. Buck, you remember Buck, he is the main character of a novel by Jack London, The Call of the Wild. He was a half Saint Bernard and half Scottish Shepherd dog. It's a classic novel and it really fits into our segment, Top Dogs in Literature. And who else could talk about it? Then Eva Moura, she is a cognitive therapist, a passionate reader. She runs a podcast for kids' books called Abenteuer Lesen. It's in German, but anyway, her thoughts to The Call of the Wild. Hello Eva and welcome to our podcast, Top Dog. Hello Adrian. Are you a cat person or a dog person? That's a really difficult question. I would say I'm a dog person, but I have and had some very exceptional cats in my life too. So it's a little bit of both. But you don't have a dog? Not at the moment, unfortunately. Very strict laws with renting places in Australia. It's very difficult to have a dog. But I had three dogs at home in Austria. Do you at least read books about dogs? Of course. <laughs> and I brought one of the books with me today. Yeah, I'm very excited because I saw you brought a classic. It's called The Call of the Wild from Jack London. Yes. Why that book? I think because um, I read the book the first time when I was 12 years old and I was really impressed buy the book. I cried like, you know, you wouldn't believe because it was such a sad story for me. What um, made you cry? Uh, everything. I think it's, it's very different if you read this book as like a teenager or as an adult. As a teenager, it was, you know, all this cruelty against the dogs um, in the book was just unbelievable for me. I couldn't believe how cruel the humans were towards the dogs. That's an interesting aspect because uh, there are lots and lots of novels where people are cruel to each other and we'll just take it and we thought, yeah, this is typical human. But as soon as there's a, a, an animal involved, let's say a dog, a loyal dog, and the dog is the sufferer, it makes it even worse. Do you see that that way as well? Yes, and also at this time I really wanted to have a dog um, and never got one. Um, I was like, please give them to me, I will be much nicer to them I will look after them and I was like why do they have dogs if they treat them like they are nothing and yeah it was really for me it was you know lots of, of heartache involved yeah. we don't want to talk too much about the story itself we just assume everybody knows the story it's a short story it's a quick read actually what kind of dog is it 
his, his name is Buck, and he's a mix of St. Bernard and Scotch Collie, so huge. St. Bernard is a, sort of like a Swiss dog, big, strong rescue dogs, and a Scotch Shepherd. Yeah, they're just like shepherds. Yeah, like a Collie. So it's a, it's a big dog with 140 pounds, so roughly 70, 80 kilos, I would assume. It's a really strong, strong breed. And as you said, he comes from a really like a pampered pet dog environment and gets stolen and sold multiple times over his life and meets lots of cruel owners, beat him and he gets um, he gets starved and yeah worked nearly to death. And what is also interesting is, and that's I think is the difference when you read it as an adult, that you see the different layers in the book. So as a 12-year-old, I only saw the cruelty towards the dog and it was like all I, I saw in the story. And now I can see the other layers, like that at the start, Buck is, um, yeah, a pampered bed talk with his thoughts. We, we see the whole story from his perspective, Um who is like the, the king of his dominion, of his farm or the environment he lives in. And then suddenly he is on the bottom of the of the pack. So uh, he gets attacked by other dogs as well. He sees his like dog friends being killed by a pack of sled dogs, for example. So it's a completely different environment for him. And so his training or his upbringing as a pet dog vanishes over time and I want to read a short passage that that really illustrates that the change in his um, I wouldn't call it thinking but in his instincts as well so when he was a pet talk he was very proud and very like moral um, in his behavior and that it has to change His first theft marked Buck as fit to survive in the hostile Northland environment. It marked his adaptability, his capacity to adjust himself to changing conditions, the lack of which would have meant swift and terrible death. It marked, further, the decay or going to pieces of his moral nature, a vain thing and a handicap and a ruthless struggle for existence. It was all well enough in the Southland, under the law of love and fellowship, to respect private property and personal feeling. But in the Northland, under the law of club and fang, whoso took such things into account was a fool, and in so far as he observed them he would fail to prosper. I think it's really interesting that to survive... He has to get rid of all his training as a pet dog. He has to become the wild thing, the wild dog, the wolf, with all his instincts alive to survive. We talked before we started the, the recording about that the novel was written in a time when we had this huge industrialization of society and this you know, yearning to go back to nature um, that was... Yeah, prevalent in the society as well. And that's such a a strong thing to go back to your instincts and all the civilization is falling away and the bare bones are 
shining through of mm. your of your personality. The Call of the Wild by Jack London. Many say it's his masterpiece, and uh, since it's been published in 1903, it has never gone out of print, and it's still a popular book today. Eva Mura, many many things. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Wow, what an amazing dog. Adrian, would your dogs be capable of something like what Buck was doing in the book? What a question. Of course they would be capable of doing anything. They're my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> you'd, you'd be surprised what dogs are capable of when they're challenged. Yeah, a lot of them develop great skills, like, for example, Manny's dog. He is a nutritionist and owner of The Dog House, which is a cafe for dogs in Collingwood in Australia. Manny and his wife discovered that their dog had a natural talent for helping people, or helping his wife in particular, and therefore they decided to train him into a service dog. This is Manny talking about his dog, the My Top Dog of the Week. She's also a service dog for my wife. So when she puts her vest on, she's at work. So she spends most of her time with my wife. So, yeah. Working as? As a, as a service dog. So my wife's got a problem on her left side. Yeah. Um, she's got a pain problem. And so, and her, she's got very bad anxiety. So she always stays on her left side and makes people, you know, if they come in a little bit too close, she'll pull my wife away. Or if she's feeling a bit anxious, she'll pull my wife away. She's very smart. So yeah. she looks after her a lot. Dog is a sort of a yeah, dog come from a special. No, place. no, we trained it, um, yeah. and she's getting a little bit more training as well. But um, she just naturally always did it. Yeah. You know, that was my wife's dog. I, she bought it, not me. Mm. Um, and then we obviously started dating that. But um, she's always been quite protective of her. Actually, told us, I told my wife she was pregnant. You know, she just changed her moods and started sniffing her stomach and tapping her tummy, saying, "There's something in there." So, you know, my wife took a pregnancy test and bang, you know, twins. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she knew. So, you know, she changed the way she was. Yeah, but she couldn't tell how many. Uh, yeah, no, she couldn't tell how many, obviously. But um, Maybe you just didn't understand. Yeah, or maybe, yeah. I need to learn German. I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, she's fantastic. Great having a protector, great having a dog on your side that looks after you. Now, Manny, as we said, he's a nutritionist and owner of Dog House, a dog cafe in Collingwood. And we'll hear more from him soon. But now it is time for the... Top Dog On Spot Challenge. Now, that's a challenge. That's my favorite challenge. Not that you have to say Top Dog. Or whatever. <laughs> it's the dog who has to say it, and any dog, I'm sure any dog in this world can say top dog, hot spot, because we want to challenge all the huskies at the same time. We all know they can say, I love you, but I think that's too easy. It is a challenge to say top dog, hot spot. We had one last week who nearly was capable of saying it, but now we have two contestants. Today's contestants are Stanley and Shackleton from Boronia in Australia. However, they are not quite alive because they are mechanical. 
dogs in front of us that are exposing themselves to the challenge to say mm -hmm. top dog hot okay. spot. Contested number one is, is, what's his name? Shackleton. There you go. Shackleton. Yeah. Say so, top dog okay, hot spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Close. Very good. <laughs> and this is Stanley. Stanley's a Bernese mountain dog. Oh, here we go. Ready? <laughs> <laughs> Ah, he does variations. <laughs> Has a bit of a Swiss accent. <laughs> so there we go. It's not even easy for mechanical dogs. You'd think it would be much easier, but it's not. So if you want your dog to be in this competition or in this challenge, drop us a line. Email is easy. Woof woof at topdog.space. And if you like our podcast... Please leave a comment, like us or hashtag us. Or tell your friends, your family, your employer, people you meet on your dog walk and tell them what you heard and what you're going to hear because it's easy to listen to us. You hear us on topdog.space or on any podcast platform. That was Top Dog Podcast. Take care. My name is Adrian. And I'm Katja. And say hello to your dog from me. Thank you.